Resident Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Richard Latofsky joins us from Rockville, Maryland, where he is co-founder and CEO of Mad VR Labs, the developer of the MV Extreme and MV Pro video processors for high-end home th- cinema. Rick is a serial entrepreneur with an expertise and focus on several technology categories, including, of course, real-time video processing, which we will dive into today. After witnessing at CDA Expo 2023, one of the most impressive home theater demos I've ever seen and heard, featuring Mad VR technology video processing, I knew it was only a matter of time before it became a topic of conversation here on the podcast. Rick Latofsky, welcome to Residential Tech Talks. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You bet. And, uh, you know, we're recording this on February 21st, which is not too far removed from your trip to Barcelona for the ISE show. Um, are you fully recovered physically from that trip? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, these trips are kind of always, uh, you know, quite exciting and the, a lot of adrenaline going on. And then, you know, afterwards, there's usually a, quite a recovery period. You know, it's kind of funny when anytime we walk out of one of these shows, like one of the major shows like CD or ISC, you can actually just feel as you literally leave, you know, the hall for the for the last time of the show. And it's almost like a bit of like a postpartum, like you just feel the kind of like the adrenaline, the excitement, everything just kind of like, you know, goes away. And then you just kind of feel have this overwhelming sense of like, boredom and longing to get right back into it uh you know but that's kind of like you know the, the world we live in right yeah but you you also came home with that that a cough right you're kind of hacking away like we all pick up something these days too it's like our immune systems should be getting stronger but i feel like they've just all been knocked knocked to hell or something yeah you know um the show was great um we had a great show and then um I stayed in Europe with my wife for a few days, and we uh, we went into to uh, Madrid and Seville, which were absolutely beautiful. Um, at Seville, I consider like the dessert capital of the world, which makes it even that much harder to leave. Um, but just kind of like on the way home on the plane, I was like, ah, and wound up picking up a little bit of bronchitis. But uh, oh, okay. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you know we timed this pretty well so that I'm I'm back in shape to be able to to talk and have actual words come out of my mouth now. Well, great. I, hopefully, we can hang in there. And every time I mention something, you know, I, like I said, I had that bit of a cough myself, and it was just every time I thought of it, I started to cough as opposed to actually needing to cough all the time. So we'll stop talking about it. Maybe it won't bother you. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I I know there are folks that are watching this that are familiar with Mad VR, um, but. Uh, we'll we'll kind of take it from the standpoint of folks who maybe don't know it so well, and 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 I I guess just generally we say it's a video processing technology, but um, there's a lot of depth to what you can do with it, and it's a very high end product, obviously. But let me start with the backstory of how you got involved as a co-founder, yeah. and uh, your co- you know start with your your co-founder himself, um, Matthias Rowan, and how you two originally connected. Yeah, well, uh, Jeremy, to to go into that really kind of requires a little bit of a a, a backstory, right? So, um, 
about five, six years ago, I set out to build what my wife likes to call my midlife crisis uh, theater. Um, and everything was meticulously planned. We did thousands of renders. We did um, everything from the, the sight lines and the audio and the projector and the furniture and everything was just meticulously planned out. And everything came out amazing, but the video quality just wasn't there, right? It just left me longing. And I looked around um, in the market and there were really no options that interest me. And, um, you know, being an entrepreneur, I said, you know, there's got to be uh, a way to do this um, and to improve this picture quality in a way that's really simple and easy for anyone to use, right? Because, you know, the days have gotten behind me of wanting to tinker, right? Like when I finally sit down in my theater and I want to relax, I don't want to be playing with like Windows drivers and, and trying to get different things going. I just want to hit, the, hit play and just have things work. Um, and so... Um, that kind of led me into research and was possible. And I came across my, uh, my partner, Matthias, um, and I was aware of what he was doing in, in what we'll call the underground um, with um, the MadVR um, algorithms for things such as uh, upscaling and, and some tone mapping. And so I, I uh, approached Matthias and, and said, hey, you know, like, hey, why don't we, uh, build a business around this. And there's, there's so many, there's so much that we can do with it and make it just dead simple, right? So that integrators would want to install it and use it and customers would love it. And he said, you know, Hey, it's been a dream of mine uh, to one day be able to uh, commercialize this technology. And, and, you know, we, we talked about it for a while and then we formed the company and, you know, here we are about uh, five years later now with, uh, with customers and, about 40 countries uh, worldwide. So backing up just a little bit, uh, how big of a screen are you talking about for your theater that uh, you, you were looking at when you started? Yeah, so in my theater, I have 140 inch wide, uh, two, three, seven uh, aspect ratio. So what we'll call a scope screen, meaning that it's uh, you know wider than um, your typical you know 16 by nine. And we'll certainly, I'm sure, be talking about scope screens, you know, uh, as we, as we move along, uh, in the podcast. Yeah. And, and so what were you looking at on your screen that you felt was not as high a quality video at the time when you first got your theater up and running? Are you such a stickler that it's something that your average eye wouldn't catch or what, what were you kind of, uh, seeing? Yeah, my, my family was also kind of complaining about the, the video, um, quality in those early days too, because, um, the HDR was just so dark, right? Like, you know, the, the 1080p Blu-ray looked better than the HDR, right? And so that's the whole promise of HDR is just high dynamic range and all this extra excitement. And, um, you know, instead it was just like dark and dingy and, and you could see some highlights were getting crushed and blacks were, you know, not right. A lot, a lot of details being lost. Um, you know, it had the annoyances of having, you know, black bars um, on the screen and, you know, having to keep changing the lens memory every time the content on the screen, you know, like if I'm in like an Apple TV menu, for example, and then you're watching a scope movie. And so it, it was a number of things that were all kind of like bottling up, right? Uh, that yeah. Set and so, so how, you know, when you found Matthias, what was his, um, you said a kind of underground uh, video processing solution. Um, 
what's that world all about? Because uh, I, I don't dig deep into that type of space, but uh, you, you kind of found him through sort of uh, kind of chat boards and stuff like that. That he was. Yeah, right. Like on mm-hmm. online forums and message boards, he was uh, making software mm-hmm. available for hobbyists um, to use on their, um, you know, mm-hmm. like the home theater PCs to be able not to do playback, but to be able to do things like upscaling and okay. co-mapping and some of these things. Right. So so we already had a running head start because he had developed this library um, that was well regarded even back then as being the best among um, other uh, alternatives for what it could do. Um, so it was actually part of our game plan, right? Was if we were just starting from scratch with two guys and an idea, it would have taken us years and years and years to get to market. But instead we were able to, to leverage that development that he had. Yeah. So he brings this technical, um, capability existing IP, and then you're bringing some of the business aspects to how to get this stuff to market. And, the best way to approach every all all the channel right. relationships and everything. So, what was the first what 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 was the first uh, result there um, when you when you went when you got a, a product that was available? Um, what could it do initially? Yeah. So um, initially, we we'll, we'll go over this when you know um, the overall features, but it was primarily about managing the screen aspect ratios and and the tone mapping. Um, you know, the dynamic tone mapping that was all you know, all the rage back then. And it's still, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're best known for with the product has continued to evolve in so many areas since then. I mean, it's been, yeah, you know, probably five years since, since we first started with yeah, the Yeah. So that dynamic uh, aspect ratio is a thing that immediately come, you know, it resonates with me uh, as a, as a owner of an, of a um, three uh, widescreen, you know, projector with the uh, three by four, uh, Two thirty five uh, to one aspect ratio, right? So, uh, I, um, I I'm in that world of where you had to adjust manually to get things to to work to fit the screen. Um, I don't, I didn't throw the extra cash out to get even the automatic lens or anything like that. So, I keep so you a keep, you I keep, keep a ladder. I, yeah, I happen to have a ladder hand back by. there. Uh, all right, for working out, not like the kind you do you know, <laughs> tools on, but like. Uh, an actual workout bench that I climb up on, which is a little precarious at times, you know, um, kid, the kids kind of know how to do it. My teenage daughters, but usually they're just like, can you come down and fix this? You left it where it's like bleeding off the screen. (laughs) Yeah. So, Uh, so I get that. Um, So, um, I don't know if you want to take through like how some of these things, um, work a little bit, uh, how it simplifies the process. Yeah, well, um, would you want to start kind of like a high level, kind of talk about yeah. what the MV is, what it does, kind of like the hero features? And For sure, kind of yeah, and then there's things through that. It, as terminology may be, doesn't you know make sense to me? You can ask, I can go deep dive into that a little bit more. But yeah, so um, you know, in summary, the the, the Mavier MV is a video processor that it goes in line with an existing system, so you can put in a new system, or you can add it to an existing sim a system simply by inserting it in front of the display. So if you have a projector or if you have an, an LED wall or, or a, a flat panel, um, you, you, the line, whichever is feeding that display instead will go into the Envy and then you go out of the Envy to the display. So the typical thing would be, you know, your sources into an AVR, into the Envy, okay. 
into your display, right? And so we just kind of sit in between and we make the image look better according to your preferences and industry standards as the video travels through. So we're not a playback device, right? So it's, we're not a media source and you can't play movies uh, from our device, but you know we clean up the signal right. as it travels through. Um, and so a great way to um, know about the features is there's a great mnemonic that we like to use called Music HD. And you can see that um, along the bottom of the screen. And although the product has absolutely nothing to do with audio, it uh, happens to be a mnemonic that works out really well. So I'll kind of touch on some of these key features and then we'll kind of work through um, some of them and, and kind of do a deeper dive as, yeah, as we get good. along, if that sounds good. Um, so the M stands for Motion AI. Um, we have created the world's first AI-based motion interpolation in a dedicated video processor. Um, and when we get to that section, I'll go into more about what that is. But uh, essentially, we have come up with a way to smooth motion in such a way where it actually looks good and is not objectionable like um, many past um, algorithms and implementation um, of motion interpolation. Uh, the U stands for upscaling. Um, so uh, we have AI-based upscaling. So, uh, you know, as you know, we're still dealing with a lot of 1080p content, right? Like, so all broadcast TV, at least through uh, Comcast, or, yeah, a lot of these sources um, is still 1080p. Um, and a lot of people still have a great 1080p Blu-ray collection uh, that they love and they they enjoy and they want to, to keep. Um, so being able to show that at 4K, you know, we have some algorithms that can, uh, in some circumstances, almost uh, make it look identical or nearly identical to 4K. So it's really pretty wild on, on how that works. Um, so that's what the U is. The S is for subtitle management. That is the ability to put the subtitles back onto the screen as a scope screen user yourself. I'm sure you're familiar with the pains that come along with subtitles and scope movies on a scope screen where they appear below the masking or above the screen. Um, so as we get a little bit further into um, the podcast, we'll, you know, we'll co cover that uh, in detail. Uh, the I stands for incredible nonlinear stretch. Um, and what's extra incredible here is that um, we needed <laughs> something that started with an I. Um, so we, we put uh, the I for incredible in there uh, in order to make the mnemonic work perfectly. Um, so nonlinear stretch is the ability to get rid of those pesky black bars that you see whether you're watching a scope movie on a 16 by nine screen and you've got those big bars above and below the screen or whether you're watching 16 by nine content on a scope screen and you've got those big black bars on the left and right of the screen. Um, being able to get rid of some or all of that in a way that's very pleasing and, and very difficult uh, if at all uh, possible to notice. Um, so we'll we'll spend some time talking about that as well. <clears throat> we also have the C stands for uh, control. There's all sorts of aspects of control. Uh, so calibration, being able to get the image um, perfectly accurate to industry standards for uh, what's called BT709, which is a fancy way of saying the colors used for, for non-HD content and uh, BT2020. Um, which is the color space used uh, in the wider gamut 
that's used for HDR processing. Uh, so the ability to do that is very important and be able to get the what's also known as grayscale and gamma all perfectly where it should be because this all impacts the colors and the contrast and being able to delineate those fine details so they don't they're not getting crushed um, in the blacks or the, or the whites. Um, so that's a big part of calibration, uh, whether you calibrate it yourself or whether you have uh, an expert that you bring in uh, to calibrate it. Uh, that's a big deal. Other things related to control, like IP control for working with things like Crestron or Control 4 or Savant, um, these types of systems are, are very important uh, to be able to tie in for integration or even control for the dealer to be able, with the end user permission, to be able to log in and test the system, check the system and operate it um, and configure the NV and the rest of the system, just like they were in the same room together. That's very, very powerful and another unique feature um, of our product. So there's different aspects of control, even things like geometry control and being able to fix distortion uh, and the wonky corners. You know, we all have that corner. It's not exactly uh, straight with projection and you can spend hours trying to get the alignment just perfect. We have ways to fix it digitally without introducing any artifacts um, or other such issues. Um, and then you've got the HD part of the music HD, which stands for your HDR tone mapping um, and the uh, detection of various aspect ratios, which also plays into the nonlinear stretch. Yeah, so it's a it's a pretty stout device there, but really cool looking and definitely like a rack mounted kind of piece typically in the types of installations you'd be uh, sold into. Um, price point, you're about fifteen nine nine five. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, it's about sixteen thousand for the MV Extreme and uh, ninety five hundred for the MV Pro. Yeah, I saw a nice uh, review where they said, "Hey, if you're comparing this to high-end audio, then it's a good, it's a value." And think about what uh, a couple of two-channel speakers cost you. So, don't get you know, you're not talking about your average consumer uh, investing in this, but someone who's really putting a lot of uh, investment into a into a cinema, home cinema. So, this makes the oh, yeah. video that much. You know, I, I don't I don't blink at prices anymore because of the 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 Cedia channel, the level of, of installs that we're talking about. But uh, that, that just gives us sort of a framework of where we're at on that. Um, I was just going to say you're only as good as your weakest link. Right. So, you know, you spend all this money, like even in, in my case, you know, on on the perfect lighting and the perfect chairs and the perfect screen and uh, the perfect speakers and amplifiers and all this. And then to leave yourself short or to leave a customer short in video performance is just, you know, it's a difficult thing, right? Because you're, you're just, you're this close, right? Mm -hmm. You're one more piece of gear away from really being able to maximize the performance of the video, right? And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this product is for, there's just two big things that it delivers um, and it depends on what hat you have on. But for like our dealers and integrators, uh, the product delivers convenience, speed of installation, uh, being able to uh, and flexibility in the system and, and a tool that can fix all sorts of various issues and common cu customer complaints. Right. Like, why do I have these black bars or why is this? corner not correct or why is my hdr too dark or you know these types of things so being able to be up front rather than better than reactive and oh we can add this product to solve it 
um, dealers now are expecting these in their jobs. Um, so, you know, a lot of our customers um, are the type that they are not sure exactly what equipment they're getting um, until it's proposed by the dealer and dealer explains everything. Mm-hmm. And some of our customers are more the enthusiast type and purposely seek it out and um, get it for themselves or instruct their their integrator, hey, um, you know, can can you uh, add this, you know, to the system? And, and when you uh, start working with a dealer, you said we talked before about um, you've got a, a training program that uh, isn't too overly complicated. There's a, a process there. So what, about an hour and a half that um, kind of a ramp up there with a new dealer? Or, I remember that right. correctly. Yeah. So um, what we do is we have online uh, remote training. Um, one of the really cool things about the product, like I was mentioning before, when we talked about control is, is remote control. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time when a new dealer onboards, they have a training session uh, with one of our leading product specialists um, and, and their team. Sometimes it's done in conjunction with their first install. Um, so they'll schedule that and say, hey, you know, we're going to install this product for the first time at a client uh, next Thursday at 9 a.m. Um, and we have one of our techs available uh, that logs in to the, to the Envy and shows them around, helps them, guides them through the installation. You know, it takes about an hour, hour and a half, depending on how deep they want to go or how many questions, um, you know, that they have. And we guide them through, you know, the process. Um, it's actually a very easy setup, but like anything, the first time you do it, you kind of, you know, may have some questions of how do you best handle this or how would you recommend setting up this? So a lot of the time is actually spent just going through your different source devices and display devices with our recommended settings that are good starting places and, and places to go from from there. And uh, the rest of it is pretty easy. And then once you have the MB configured how you want it, it's a very easy way to save those settings off um, to you know, your laptop or to the cloud. And then when you do your next MB install, you can just instantly clone it to match what was on the other settings. Um, so you can go into the field and set up your next one using our guide as a reference for things, or you can get back on, plan some time with our tech team and they'll help you through it. So um, talk about, remind us what tone mapping accomplishes, what, what that, um, how important that is to the, the processor. Yeah, so um, HDR is a high dynamic range, right? In order to achieve this, um, there is the the luminance, or should say, you know, the brightness range needs to be compressed because the content is mastered for enormous amount of brightness that today's consumer uh, displays just simply can't handle. Um, so, for example, there's content that's mastered at 1,000 nits and 4,000 nits. And, and this is just a little techie term for levels of brightness, right? So uh, something that's mastered for 4,000 nits means that there's 4,000 distinct levels of brightness that any of the content you know, on the screen at any time could be mapped to. Um, most, um, most, dis- most projectors... Um, you know, in the five to thirty thousand dollar range, once properly set up and calibrated, depending on the screen size, are delivering somewhere between seventy or eighty nits to maybe one hundred and fifty or one hundred and seventy five nits. 
um, when you get into higher um, higher end projectors like uh, you know like a, a Barco uh, Nord or Freya or um, a Sony GTZ 380, you know, getting into that like hundred thousand dollar price point, um, you know, you can get into that two, three hundred nit, um, maybe up to four hundred nits, but you're still not even close to even just a thousand nits that some contents mastered at, or four thousand nits, and and certain contents even at ten thousand nits. And so, you know, and the same thing with TVs. TVs are bright, but and they might have a spec for let's say 800 nits or a thousand nits, but in reality, um, for a specific area of the screen, they're generally not delivering anywhere near that level of brightness. And so the question is how you take content that is mastered to show a range of 4,000 nits and get it to fit into a hundred nits or 150 nits. Uh, and the answer is not a linear curve, right? So, um, you can't just say, well, we'll divide everything by 100 uh, or by everything by 250, right? Because that would look really bad, right? So tone mapping is essentially the art of remapping, let's say, 4,000 nits, if it's a 4,000 nit content, into the available brightness that your display has. So how do you smartly compress, you know, imagine a bucket, right, uh, that's filled with 4,000 gallons of water. Right. And now you have a container, your display that's only capable of uh, 100 and holding 150 gallons of water. In this case, gallons or, or nits is, is our analogy. How are you going to pour out 4000 gallons into this 150 gallon container? Obviously, a lot is going to get wasted and spill all over the place. But what you get left in that 150 has got to be represent representative of the original. And that's the trick. So toe mapping is the art of figuring out where you can, you know, slice and dice the content and put it back together in a way where you look at it, it looks great. And it has the HDR and these kind of definitions, despite the display being relatively very limited in its brightness range. So that gets Does that help. Yeah. And that gets you a long way toward just a better image in general when you're dealing with HDR specifically. Um, and then if you're going back to the one of the two original features, um, you've got the then the uh, aspect ratio management, which um, maybe you can explain how that that's accomplished so that you're not sitting there waiting for a mechanical process to, to go through if you've got that sort yeah. of projector. Um, sure. Or, or if you're like me, go walk, walk back and climb up and do it all mechanically. <laughs> oh, that's great. Why don't we kind of step through a couple of these next um, slides sure. um, to kind of show this is why we're here. This is the back of the envy. Uh -huh. You can see this is your one input there on the right and then your one output on the left. So remember we talked about that mm -hmm. and then, you know, we've got space for like your RF antenna and, you know, you can see it's actually very simple. You know, this is our um, RC2 backlit uh, remote control. That's, that's um, gotten a lot of, of um, you know, people talking very excited about this. So this is like an example of, of mapping HDR because remember I mentioned it's an art, right? So it's much as an art as it is a science. And what this means is that, not every display 
does it to the same degree. And so what you see on the left side of the screen is an example of um, tone mapping um, without an MV, right? And um, this is a, I won't name names, but this is a, a very popular display manufacturer. And, and this is how it was looked. These are our photographs off of the screen um, that were actually done with them in the best settings with and without the envy. And you can just see like the level of detail. Like uh, if you look at the green highlights in the beam in the bottom right uh, quadrant image, you can kind of see the richness of the green there. And on the left side, how it's just kind of goes flat, right. And all the detail that's lost. Um, and so that's like an example of, of how our product, when you compare um, what the MV looks like to um, tone mapping done any other way, you see these kind of demonstrable differences. And if we go to the next one, you can see some, this is like an example of the importance of, of proper tone mapping. Um, this is actually used as a function we have called contrast recovery. So if you look in box five, you can see how these highlights are just kind of getting blown out. Mm -hmm. And that results in this white crush, mm -hmm. right? And you don't necessarily even realize it when you're watching it. Um, but like, look at the high, look at that same headlight uh, in the section with them, but you see all the, the detail back or like in box number two, the top part where you kind of see the Lego pieces and the street, how hazy it is compared to that section below it, mm -hmm. right? So this is all about, you know, getting those contrasts and details out. This is an example of highlight recovery, which is also another function of our of our dynamic toe mapping. So toe mapping has various functions that all kind of come together that kind of create this image. Um, so you can just see the difference in clarity on the outside. Like just look at the one of the little sections at the top, um, you know, of this uh, of this dome and all the detail in there compared to how that detail is kind of missing. And then of course in the middle, you can just see um, all the extra detail and clarity versus kind of that crush and that bloom um, that that comes out. So this kind of, you know, wraps up the discussion on um, of tone mapping and the importance of getting it right. Because remember, we're looking at this on, on screens, not at not an HDR. Sure. Uh, and you can see how demonstrable these are. So imagine this you know, up at, on a 10 foot, 12 foot, 16 foot screen For sure. and the differences these things make. Yeah. So y y you're pointing out that there are, there is a tone mapping, um, occurring in other display devices. It's just not necessarily up to the quality of what you're providing. Um, correct. There's no real like w set way to do it. Okay. Um, and so like we have our proprietary patent pending algorithms that use things like highlight recovery, contrast mm -hmm. recovery, shadow detail recovery. Um, and it's also not an exact science too, because, you know, there's really no right and wrong mm -hmm. because there's not enough brightness to really render the scene ideally mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be rendered. So the question is, do you make it a little bit brighter and a little less saturated or do you make it a little more saturated and a little less brighter mm -hmm. uh, when in reality, the scene might supposed to be super bright and super saturated. Mm -hmm. None of these displays can achieve both at the same time. So we also have controls that let you as the end user pick, you know, what's your preference. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. That really helps to get the visual representation and like the, the, uh, the AB, um, match up there. So 
That's great. Yeah. So if you want to move on to the next one, I think they're now kind of getting to your, what you were just asking about as far as aspect ratios. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you see the, the, the black bars in there, how, how you describe that. And, uh, you, uh, you have the, the different options depending on what type of screen you have and what you want to fix. Right. So in this, in this, um, there's basically two different ways that we handle, um, aspect ratios, um, and how we handle it is up to, up to the integrator or the customer. Um, we have what we call constant image height is what we're looking at example here. Um, so, you know, Jeremy, you mentioned that in your case, you have a manual lens zoom, um, that requires you to physically, you know, turn the, the lens right to zoom in and out. Um, and that obviously presents a challenge, right? Because when you're watching content that is scope, like what you see on the top box here, you have to zoom out until you know, normally this would look like an image with black bars on all four sides, right? And you zoom out until all those corners are touching. And that works until the content is 16 by nine or a different aspect ratio, because in that same zoom position, that content now is gonna be spilling off the top and the bottom of the screen. Like you mentioned, your daughter is like, Hey dad, you know, it's, this is on the ceiling and on the wall. Like, <laughs> can you come back down here? Um, and so that's a big, um, that's a big part of it. And whether when you're using a manual zoom, you know, it's extra challenging because you physically have to get your buns off the, the, <laughs> the seat, uh, you know, and climbing up there. Um, but it's equally, well, maybe not, quite as challenging, but it's equally challenging, or I guess I should say annoying um, when even when you have a motorized zoom, because you got to push the button on the remote, and then you're waiting, 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 right? And you're now at the, you know, at the scope size. And where you run into more challenges is when the aspect ratio is changing, right? So this is interstellar. Um, this is an example here. Uh, where they, the aspect ratio changes in this movie back and forth in this scene probably 10 or 20 times, right? Mm -hmm. And so what the Envy does is you zoom out once. Like it's like if you had an Envy in your system, you would zoom out once and it would fill that screen. And then you will never, ever, ever touch that lens position again. And when the content is your full scope, it'll render it like that. And then when it is does not fill the screen, it will automatically still fit it like you see here without it going off the top and the bottom. Okay. And that's what we consider constant image height. And then when the con when the movie like this is going back and forth, when it goes to scope, you see it like this at the top. Mm -hmm. When it goes back to like the IMAX scenes or 16 by nine, you see it like you see on the bottom. Okay. And it is seamless, like it's just instantly back and forth. Like it's not like a half a second or even mm -hmm. a single frame where it's behind. It's just, you know, spontaneously boom. Yeah. On each on each change. Yeah. So that 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 keeps the art the artistic intent of the director there, um, the creator of the film. And it also, in the case of the menus, you know, you're not popping back and forth like the Apple menu in 16.9 and going to your, um, you know, your scope movie and having issues there where you can't see the menu when you come back. So 
Right, right. Because that, that challenges, um, and just so the audience, just to expand on that for a second, um, the, the challenge is you know, go to the Apple TV menu, it's 16 by 9, right? You pick out your movie, it's a scope movie. Now you got to change the lens position and wait for that to happen, whether it's manual or with a button. And then you get into the movie and whether you decide after a minute or two, oh, already watched this movie um, or you decide, Hey, I don't want this. Or at the end of the movie, you go back to the Apple TV menu. Now it's about back on the ceiling and on, uh, on the floor, you got to change the zoom again. Mm -hmm. Right. So whether it's changing aspect because you're going between devices or menus or because it's happening within the content itself, it's the same challenge. Absolutely. Well, that's a, that's a good way to understand it there. So um, you, you're, you're maintaining that, uh, the black bars, but they're not it, the the image is not bleeding off the screen uh, as a result. So. Right. Cool. Right. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. And that just simplifies things for the integrator because a lot of times the integrators, the customers complain, so the integrators want to in make it happen automatically. Yeah. And you can do that. The MV will tell your control system, you know, hey, um, it just changed to sixteen by nine. Mm -hmm. And then if you have a masking screen or you can send the command to the projector like, okay, go to zoom position one, mm -hmm. right? And the MV says, oh, this is now scope. And it'll tell the, you know, so you can still automate it, you know, yeah. if you want, um, or, you know, you could just use it like this and never touch the zoom again. Right, okay. Most people are happy, both consumers and integrators to rid themselves of that whole problem. For sure, okay. Uh, nice. Okay, so oh, I love this. You showed me this when we, we had a call before and, uh, and this is amazing how you've accomplished this. Yeah. So nonlinear stretch, you mentioned director's intent. So we have a mix of customers and integrators. Some want to watch how they want to watch and some want to watch how the director, uh, intended to, but at the end of the day, when it comes to sports, <laughs> um, there's, there's really no argument for not using nonlinear stretch. We believe um, it can create a much more immersive experience, right? And the thing we like to, to point out is our nonlinear stretch is, is special. A lot of people think about nonlinear stretch back from, you know, 20 years ago or, or 10 or even five years ago. Um, our nonlinear stretch is uses a, a special patent pending approach. Um, we're the first and only company to do what we call vertical compression along with horizontal expansion, right? So if you think of a sponge, you know, you have a sponge, you squeeze it in the middle, the sides naturally go out. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually compressing vertically, which gives us natural horizontal expansion. And then we add some horizontal expansion. And so it's just, just a, a long way of saying that we are creating that geometric distortion on both axes, vertically and horizontally and makes it far less obvious, right? So so if you take a look at the football player on the left, you can see up here that, you know, the top image, he looks completely natural, obviously. It's not stretched. But look at the, on the stretch image on the one below, looks completely natural, right? So you would have expected him to look two feet wide, especially mm -hmm. back. And that's why we like to pick this particular image to show that difference. Uh, and because we're using, um, you know, yeah. a patent pending technique to share that geometric distortion across both the vertical and the horizontal axis. And so it makes it look, you know, very natural. Yeah, you're basically only giving up a little bit of content uh, on the on the top and bottom edges there that's not even important in this particular application. So 
through. Right. And that's all configurable, right? Okay. So we have some people that say, oh, but, you know, I can see that below you're taking off some off below the ticker or you don't see as much of the crowd at the bottom. You know, you can use the nonlinear stretch so that every single pixel um, is still rendered. Hmm. Um, this is just kind of how we prefer to set it up because we like to get as big as we can on the relevant part of the game. Um, so, for example, sometimes there's like a, a sporting event and they have, you know, this ticker at the bottom, mm-hmm. you know, that's like a foot and a half large, you know, on a projection screen about like next week's boxing match scrolling by and sports. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like to see all that. I just want to see the game. So you can just go into the controls and really click uh, quickly, just click, 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 click and zoom that right off. All right. Nice. And it's you can't even see it. And then it makes the whole image bigger and requires all the less amount of stretch to accomplish the same thing. And this also is what essentially helps you with the subtitle management as well, sort of. Um, yeah, th- there's there's an aspect of nonlinear stretch with the subtitle management um, that, you know, we're happy to go over that next with you um, because we kind of combine. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Uh, some some tricky ways that we use yeah. nonlinear stretch with that as well. Okay. Yeah. How do we do that? Um, so uh, this is subtitle management. So this is a scope screen with a scope movie and subtitles. Okay. And so for those that are not familiar, um, when you have a projector zoomed out, like you're watching 16 by nine content, this is what it looks like. So this is very normal, whether you have a subtitle there or not. And then when Jeremy gets his ladder and he goes up and he's changing the zoom or whether we're doing this physically or with manual lens shift, what's happening is you're moving all the corners into the corners, Mm -hmm. right? So you're enlarging, it's getting bigger and bigger until it fills the entire screen. But then what happens? You can see your subtitles wind up on the wall, right? Because everything moved and your subtitles are now on the masking and on the wall, which is really frustrating. And so, so what we do is the envy instead will show the movie at full screen like this when there's no subtitles. And then if you go one more, we bring back just the black bar and put the subtitle in it. Okay. So if you think back, you know, a little while ago, we saw all that black bar and you're watching it like a postage stamp. That's how you have to watch it without the envy because otherwise your subtitles are not going to be readable. And this way, you watch it throughout the movie, and then the subtitles, you can control how long you want that black bar to stay. So, for example, you could set it for 15 seconds or three minutes so that when there's dialogue, that black bar is there and the subtitles are coming and going in the black bar because you wouldn't want the whole thing coming and going. Right. Um, and likewise, if you had two lines of subtitles, three lines of subtitles, subtitles on the top, subtitles on the bottom, all this works independently. So it'll make room for them on the top. Mm. It'll make room for one line, two lines, three lines, whatever you need. And then to your question about nonlinear stretch, um, it's actually a very interesting question because if you look here, um, we are shrinking the image in order to come up with that black bar on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And by shrinking the image, we should therefore need to have black bars on the sides right but you notice there are none Mm -hmm. okay because we are subtly using nonlinear stretch to get rid of the sidebars so we're shrinking the image down to make room for the black bar 
which creates bars on the, on the sides, which we then add on a little touch of nonlinear stretch to get rid of that. And so that it just fills your screen nicely for that. That's great. Yeah, that, that works really well. So what have we not covered um, in, in the features? Yeah, so the, um, probably the the only main key feature that we haven't really talked about yet is motion AI and motion yeah. interpolation, okay. which has really kind of turned the video processing world upside down in the last couple of years. Uh, and in particular, um, it's something we've been working on for a long time. Yeah, so this, this is where your average you know, new TV, 4K TV consumers, not sure which setting to have on for sports and movies. And, and if they don't switch it off, you end up with the, the dreaded soap opera effect. You hear about that a lot, uh, especially when, you know, you're, you're watching a cinematic movie and it looks fine for sports, but man, it doesn't look good when you switch to a movie. Um, it looks right. like you're watching some weird video content. So yeah, it ruins it. Um, so basically let's talk for, for a moment about what motion interpolation is, why it exists yeah. in the first place. If it's so evil, why does it, why is it even here? Sure. Right. Um, so movies are framed, uh, are filmed at 24 frames per second. Right. So that means that every one twenty fourth of a, of a second, there's a new frame shown. And if you think about like, especially like video games today and, and things like everything's happening at like 120, 240, like 144, like it's all about high frame rate um, because it removes that the motion blur and the judder. When we talk about judder, we talk about, you know, like this shake. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is tricky because in the process of doing that, you lose the cinematic look that we're all accustomed to, right? So um, this happens because of something called sample and hole. Um, We won't get too technical, but it's important for people to know that the reason this has become an issue in recent times is because older technology like film projectors, plasmas, CRTs, right? We're going back a a ways now. They didn't suffer from these same types of motion artifacts uh, because they work differently. The way those worked is they displayed the image 1 24th of a second, and then it faded. Like in the case of CRT, it was painting, Mm -hmm. right? And by the time it got to the bottom, the top was already fading and it was painting again. Um, And so there was no persisted image, right? So there's something called sample and hold. All modern displays, whether you're talking about LED, OLED, um, LCD, um, all these types of displays, they use what's called sample and hold, which means the image is shown, held for 1 24th of a second, and then instantly the next one just appears. Mm -hmm. There is no break, okay? And our eyes, the way that we see, we cannot process something that spontaneously changes, right? Like in real life, nothing works that way, right? I mean, and so when you have an image that's here and then suddenly it's here, right? So you've gone from here to here, Mm -hmm. but there is none of this. It's just appears there. Our eyes blur that. Like we, the TV or the projector isn't really a blur. Right. It's the fact that the way our eyes see that change, we can't comprehend how something jumped from spot A to spot B. Mm-hmm. So we see it and perceive it as a blur to have it make sense to our 
to our brains. And so we didn't have these types of challenges back when we were dealing with film or plasma. Um, and so uh, manufacturers came out with motion interpolation to solve this. This is the idea of creating frames where there are none to make up more of them. So instead of 60 frames in a second, we've got, uh, sorry, instead of 24, we now have 60 frames in one second. Okay, so you think about that analog clock that would move that second hand that would kind of move around like in skips. We've mm -hmm. all seen those. And then you have the ones that just kind of swing around. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's kind of like what we're talking about, that, that difference. And But imagine if you could take a movie that had only 24 frames per second and insert, let's just call it for simplicity's sake, two frames in between each frame redraw it in a way well if it really had 60 it would be you know it went from here to here if it really had 60 there would be something here and here and actually recreate it mm -hmm. okay um but there's a problem with that in the execution so the idea is solid but the the problem is that you create wind up creating motion artifacts where there were none okay which are distracting to the movie like wait what was that oh that building is now shaking or you know, we see on the sky on the thing in the motorcycle. I believe this is from Skyfall. Um, his face is disappearing um, as he rides, um, mm. or in this lady, you can see her foot, the way her leg is broken uh, in pieces. Mm. You know, or like on the top right, you know, there's creates like this halo around his head where the blinds are, or those blinds in the bottom left. Those are supposed to all be connected. Mm. Um, and there's another example, halo around the lady's face. You can kind of see the, the profile, like where her nose is, go out to, to your left and you'll see, you know, kind of like the outline of her face. So these are things that distract us. So people are like, I don't like these distractions. I'm turning that off. The other thing you mentioned is soap opera effect. You know, for those that are not familiar, this is it looking too real. It mm -hmm. looks like you're on the set watching them film a movie instead of actually watching it through the camera, right? Um, and so we set out to solve this. We, we are not the first to invent motion interpolation. We're just trying to be the first to perfect it. Okay. And we do that in two ways. We do that by um, trying to create less motion artifacts. So introducing less artifacts on our own to begin with in the process of solving this. And the second thing that we do is provide very, very fine grained control on the amount of smoothness and soap opera effect. So you can add just a little bit and have it look fully cinematic and not even know that there's any motion interpolation running, but still getting benefit because things that were normally shaking like this might now shake like this. So it still has that motion blur and it still has that, um, you know, cinematic feel this, but it's more controlled. It's not an eyesore um, that it can be in some situations. Um, some people like everything really cranked up, right? Like, so most people, when you mention motion interpolation, they say, oh, you mean that thing that I turn off the second I get my TV, right? Because it ruins <laughs> the image. And that's because it's on full strength or the implementations. But there's some people that may like it up that high, especially for certain things. So, for example, there's a lot of concerts. Mm. that are filmed at 24 frames per second. Um, you know, you don't necessarily anticipate a concert 
to look cinematic. You know, right. you want it to look like you're there and the performer's in front of you and they're dancing around the stage and they're moving and there's all sorts of effects going on. And it's just, you know, when you see it on, you know, the light bulb goes off and you're like, wow, this is how it's meant to be seen. And so depending on your personal preference for how strong you like it and the content, like for me personally, if I'm watching a concert or something like Planet Earth 2, um, you know, more documentary or film-based, I may want it stronger or at the strongest setting. Um, and if I'm watching something more cinematic um, or especially something classic like Lawrence of Arabia, you know, I'm going to want to watch that in the lowest mode. And so it's sort of like a shower, right? Imagine if your shower only had cold, warm, and scorching hot, right? Like you would be miserable and you just wouldn't use that shower, right? Now imagine the shower with this variability, right? Where we can set that temperature exactly where we want it for the situation. That's what we're able to do with, um, you know, motion AI. And, and the other cool thing that we're doing is we're driving these displays now at 4K 120, um, which is new. A lot of people have these displays that can do 4K 120, but you're only watching at 24 or maybe 60. Um, so in addition to taking 24 to 120, uh, we're also taking 50 to 100. Uh, even in the US, uh, 50 is more popular, 50p is more popular like in Europe. But in the US, there's certain shows like um, F1, Drive to Survive on Netflix is all 50p. Um, so we take that to 100 and 60p content like sports, we take to 120. Um, and certainly sports and things like that can't be smooth enough for people, right? So you don't run into the same, oh, it doesn't have that cinematic look. There is no none to begin with. Um, so being able to watch sports at 4K 120 instead of 4K 60 uh, is a big deal as well. So um, there's a lot of really neat things that are happening in the world of, of motion AI. And it's been very well received uh, in, in the last year since we've been rolling it out. Well, I, I think that uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. I think we've hit the the main points and the the visual for those who are watching on YouTube are going to be really helpful. But the in-person demo is going to be really the the place to go, uh, you know, for, for those who haven't seen this in action. Um, I, I just I saw your release that you've got uh, a dealer in the Midwest who's doing a what you said, a Mad VR Labs Experience Center. Um, Ascend, I guess, is their name, the integrator. Yes, yes. So um, what's really special about the, this experience center is that it will be um, perhaps the only place in the world where you can experience multiple high-end gear under in one theater, right? So for example, um, there's plenty of places you can go and experience, let's say, uh, uh, you know, a, a Storm ISP processor or a Trinov um, you know, processor. Um, but, um, we're not sure there's any where you could experience either, um, in the same room, right? So here you can experience both in the same room, even with like Trinol's new waveforming. Um, so being able to experience it, it's not, it's not some people, um, you know, think of it as like a sales showroom, but that's not the, imper the the purpose, right? The purpose is literally an experience center for the manufacturers, the integrators, uh, the manufacturers will hold, you know, trainings there with their dealers, enthusiasts can come out for events. So it's really a multiple purpose event, especially being able to do things like testing, right? So you have a particular AVR 
at a particular display that may be having, you know, some sort of communication um, issues. It may be difficult to get this equipment all in the same room. In this case, you know, they can come in, do testing, or we'll run testing on their behalf. So it's really something uh, for the whole industry to enjoy from all the way from the enthusiasts, all the way to up to the manufacturers. That's really cool. And it's, um, it's in Olath or Olath, um, Kansas, which is the Kansas city, Kansas area. Um, yeah, it's and, actually and, a little bit West. So it's, it's okay. actually, yeah, it's very close in, into that area. Yep. And available really open this summer. It looks like so. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great to know about. And, uh, and, and we'll definitely see you again uh, this fall at Cedia Expo. Um, and, and I'm sure a lot of folks will be there as well. I'm looking forward to another great demo in yeah. person. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of cool things um, up on our website. Uh, if you go to uh, com, there's a resource section that has all sorts of links to articles, uh, you know, white papers, um, guides, setup guides, how-to guides. Um, and on our YouTube channel, there are uh, demonstrations from CDIA, ISE to see like all these features in action and, and how they all work together. So that's a great resource for anybody that wants to learn more. Yeah, just on your LinkedIn uh, page alone, you've got a ton of videos and uh, conversations there. So it's really, you can dive in and get lost on a lot of interesting stuff there. So I uh, encourage yeah. folks to check that out. Well, Rick, thanks so much for your time today. It's uh, It's been fun and uh, I've learned a lot and, and it's a great technology. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. It's a lot of fun anytime. This is a blast. Richard Latovsky is co-founder and CEO of MadVR Labs, the developer of the MV Extreme and MV Pro video processors for the high-end home cinema market. And like he said, you can learn more about these technologies at madvrmv.com. And that wraps up today's show, which was produced by Residential Tech Today, IPW, and Pretty Easy Podcasts. You can check out prettyeasypodcast.com if you want professional and affordable production help on your own podcast. And if you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you watched or listened to this episode. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at our magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Thursday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential 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 Residential